to our studies. We're going through the Anchored series. We are in 1 Timothy chapter 6 with our message this afternoon, Rich Man, Poor Man. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Our servants team will get you one. Keep it up in there. They'll get it to you. And as we look at this message, Rich Man, Poor Man, find your way to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We'll stand up in a moment for the reading of God's word as we share together. But I want you to know the whole goal of this message, the goal, the target, the bullseye that we're shooting for and that so often you and I miss is experiencing personal contentment with our life. Do you ever struggle with contentment? You ever struggle with just basically being okay with what you have? Somebody has said, contentment isn't that you have all the things you want, it's actually you want the things that you have. Like you don't want other things outside of that. It's interesting that the word contents or container is connected to contentment. Here's a container. It has some contents inside of it. And this container is content with the amount that's on the inside of it. And you are a vessel. You are a jar. You are a container. Are you content with what God has put into your life with your lot in life? And if so, I commend you. You have arrived at one of the great places of a Christian's life, experiencing contentment. But as soon as you achieve it, tomorrow you lose it, right? As soon as you see that cool, new, shiny thing that you didn't know you needed until you saw it. I'm driving down the road, very content in my little container in my vehicle until the new Dodge Viper pulls up next to me with 16, you know, I mean, just like this incredible work of art and you just, you begin to drool on yourself. And I just got to have one of those. One of those is just, that's going to make me happy. Or I see that house, that house is going to make me happy. Or, ooh, that jacket right there, I am going to be so swanky in that jacket. That's exactly what I need. Honestly, contentment has been one of the most elusive things in my Christian life. And so today, I want you to know I'm just preaching to myself. If you happen to eavesdrop on me preaching to myself and get anything from it, God bless you. But the reality is, you can talk about contentment till you're blue in the face. Actually experiencing it. Actually enjoying it. What God has blessed you with. And not striving for things that are outside of that. Now, God might bless you with more, but you weren't striving for it. God might bless you abundantly, but you weren't looking for it. God's good and he overflows with his generosity towards our lives and we have more blessings than we could possibly contain. Not only spiritual blessings, relational blessings and material blessings. We in this room are the wealthiest people in the world if you look at it per capita around the world. We have more than we could ever hope or dream. A Sunday school teacher asked his class, does anybody know what David said in Psalm 23? And a little girl raised her hand and she misquoted the verse, but in a sense, she totally nailed it. She says, oh, that's that Psalm that says, the Lord is my shepherd. I got everything I want <laughs> rather than I shall not want, but it nailed it, did it? She said, I have everything I need. I pray today that God finds you in a place of contentment and that God keeps you in a place of contentment. But if you're outside of that contentment, may the Lord, by his spirit and his word, nudge you and I into a deeper experience of contentment. Amen? Amen. Hey, let's stand together and start in verse 5. We jump into the middle of thought, and I apologize. I don't have time to unpack some of that. But when we begin in verse 5 here in 1 Timothy, it says, Useless wranglings of men, of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, who suppose, this is the line I'm looking for, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such withdraw yourself. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content." But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, 
and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Skipping down to verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Lord, we ask now that you would open our hearts, open our spiritual eyes, Lord, that we may see wonderful things in your word, I pray that you would pry open those steel doors of our heart that may be resistant to you downloading your sincere desire for each of us and that you would minister in a way that is really transformative by your grace. Lord, we, we understand your goal in this passage is to communicate that godliness with contentment is great gain. And so, Lord, we pray that that would be thoroughly communicated by your spirit, by your word, and by your servant now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. First, we want to look in this message, rich man, poor man, at a distortion. And you'll see this in Christendom around the world. And that is, men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain from such withdraw yourself. If somebody is preaching a prosperity gospel that if you're godly, it is automatic that you will be rich. This is a uh, phenomenon around the world, not just in America, but around the world. You drop into a, a poor African village and I'm preaching on this dirt floor and there's some, you know, 15 people there and the pastor's dressed to the nines and, and it's a prosperity message church. And for some reason they've invited me and there I am and I'm preaching the word of God and they had been building, trying to build their ministry. Now, how do you build a ministry that godliness produces wealth in a poverty-stricken area? Well, that's their great hope, right? That's the thing. For all poor people that haven't experienced wealth, the carrot's always just dangling out in front of them. It's what they long for, right? It's what they long for. Now, don't be too hard on them. Every month when you hear who wins the Powerball, there's a little voice inside of you that said, you should have bought one of those tickets. You would have given some to Jesus and the church. <laughs> you know how many people over the years, 34 years of being a pastor, have told me, Pastor, I'm going to win the lottery and I'm going to give the church a bunch of money. And I always want to say it. I just smile and go, oh, look forward to that day. But in my heart, I go, I wonder if you give anything now. <laughs> Because reality, if you're not faithful with little, you wouldn't be faithful with much. But that's how you justify the prayer, to win the big one so that you can help God's people out. But in the back of your mind, actually, it's just all about you. There are people that will say that a Christian should display, should be a manifestation of wealth. You should be driving the Cadillac. You should be driving the Porsche. You should be driving the Mercedes. You should be driving the Lexus. Whatever their definition of the wealth is, you should be displaying that. From such people that mix the good news of Jesus' love with some get-rich-quick scheme, withdraw from that. Have nothing to do with that. Now, that is not to say that God does bless his people. When I give to God's work, this is a principle of sowing and reaping. If I give to God's work, then if I give generously, I'll reap generously. This is a law as solid as gravity. This is not the same thing. This is a sowing and reaping. But when people say that you should be rich as a Christian, uh, tell that to the people throughout history that have loved God with all their heart and had nothing. Right? They have nothing, but they, they just have this sincere love for Jesus. There's a distortion when it comes to money. And when people motivate people towards a walk with God because of money, its very foundation is faulty. Its very foundation is faulty. You know, Jesus himself was homeless. <laughs> a guy one day said to Jesus, hey, I'll follow you, Lord. And he goes, 
Foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. You want to follow me? (laughs) This is what it looks like. Okay? Jesus, who was rich in heaven, became poor that you and I might be rich spiritually in him, in our relationship with God. Secondly, there's a goal that Paul the Apostle, after he corrects the distortion, he wants to give you the right target to aim at. Rather than aiming at a godly life so that I'll get rich, just aim at a godly life and then be content. See how those are different bullseyes. Those are different goals to focus towards. Because the person that thinks it's a means of wealth, a means of gain, is always going to be chasing that and wondering why it's not happening. Those who gain wealth then say, yes, I love God and I'm wealthy, so look, that message works. That's not the point. That's not the goal. That's not the target. Paul the Apostle says in verse 6, now godliness with contentment is great gain. Now what's the key? What precedes contentment? Godliness. If you love Jesus and you've received him in your life as your Lord and Savior, and you're walking with him, godliness is basically just wanting to be like God in your relationship. You start hanging out with God, and you start resembling his characteristics. So a godliness is my goal, as Jesus said. The number one goal of every person's life is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. Like if you will keep the main thing, the main thing, the main thing will take care of everything else. Keep the Lord first. But what do we do? We chase all the other things. Well, this is the priority, and the job's the priority, and this relationship's the priority, and buying that's the priority, and spending time there's the priority. No. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and God will take care of the other needs in your life. So when you put the Lord first, what are the two great commandments? Love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, all that is within you, right? That's the number one commandment. And then love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if I'm doing that, if I'm loving God with all my heart and loving my neighbor as myself, those are the correct priorities that produce a godly life so that now contentment that follows is great gain. Because when I'm in love with God, I realize this deep satisfaction within my soul that all that stuff I was craving in this this God-shaped void or vacuum that was just this black hole of... uh, consuming. Our life is this huge consuming in thing that thinks that I'm going to stuff all these things in here and that will make me happy. That will make me happy. And it won't. You keep stuffing. I mean, how long do you do that before you finally get it, right? I keep stuffing all that stuff in there and I'm still not happy. So it's, oh, I just haven't found the right thing or the right person. No. The Lord says that he has created us with this futility, this emptiness. Paul tells the uh, Athenians that he did it for a purpose, that we would grope for God. When I'm this emptiness, I'm I'm groping to fill this hole, but I'm really actually looking for God. That's what I'm looking for, a relationship with God. And so when I discover that through godliness, giving my life to Christ, now following the Lord, this great gain that I have, I tell you, it is a true phenomenon. It's like finding a unicorn, right? Finding a person that loves God and is genuinely content. Just genuinely content. They're not struggling. Hey, I mean, I just, I got all I need. Well, what is all I need? First of all, I want to know how to get there because this has been a long journey for me. About five months, I will have uh, been a Christian for 40 years. So 39 years, five months away, February of 2024, I gave my life to the Lord in February of eight, uh, nine, I almost said 1884, 1984, I'm not quite that old, 1984, and This journey for me of just constantly trying to bring the Lord as the the seeking him first in his kingdom and everything else being added unto me and this godliness that produces contentment and then forgetting the intentionality of that and a week later being off track. You know, it's like this ebb and flow that you go through in your life. It's it's not this straight line. It's like, oh yeah, I forgot. Oh yeah, I forgot. Oh yeah, I forgot. All the way through your life, right? Bringing you back to that place. But Paul the Apostle encourages me and he comforts me towards the end of his life. This is what he said about contentment. He says, for I have learned in Philippians 4, in whatever state I am in, 
to be content. Oh, we've learned. So there's a process experientially and spiritually that is a learning process that he has went through. For I know how to be abased, means have nothing, and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. People quote verse 13 all the time. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What is its context? Its context is about contentment. Its context is that I know what it is. Now, if you have any age or you have any gray hair or you have any distance, if you've uh, went around the sun a few years, <laughs> right? A couple of trips around the sun. For me, you know, 58 trips around the sun. What you realize and what you've experienced is I know what it is to be flat broke. How about you? Know what it is to be flat broke. You don't know what's, what, what's happening next. Now, if you've grown up in a, in a prosperous home with a mom and dad, and then maybe you're still with them, or then you, you know, go on to others. No, no, I mean, when you don't, you don't know how you're going to pay the rent. You don't know how you're going to buy diapers. You don't know what you're going to do with your wife and kids, and you have nothing. So I know what it is to have nothing. I know what it is to live hand to mouth. I know what it is to, as soon as I got $300 in savings, my transmission went out, right? I, I know what it is to go through this stuff that I was working, I was going through this poor season and, and I was a poor minister starting a church and we were just struggling. God was doing an amazing work spiritually, but financially we were really desperate. And I had to keep repairing this electric water heater over a couple of period of time. We had this incredible uh, hard water in this, uh, this two-acre country home where we lived in Idaho. And so the hard water deposits would get on the electrical elements and burn them out. And so I would have to keep replacing the elements in the electric water heater. But I replaced the element two or three times, and, and then I stripped out the, you know, uh, thing that holds the element in place and I'm going through all of this stuff and, and I, I'm there basically talking out loud to this guy and this guy looks at me and he goes, dude, as if he's trying to wake me up out of a sleep or stupor. He's like, dude, you can just buy a new water heater for what you've spent. But he didn't know. I, I only had the money to do these elements along the way. We had this washing machine and the motor went out. So, I mean, now they make throwaway things, but I, I had to, you know, find the motor, order the motor, replace the motor, and then, and then it started slinging water all over. You know, months later, and I was getting rust pinholes in the barrel when it went into the spin cycle. It was spraying. So I had, I got JB weld, and I'm JB welding the walls of the tank, and man, it works good. It, it did a great job. And then the dryer, the dryer belt went sideways, and so the the. It would begin to wobble the dryer so that your clothes would get into the rim and make these big black streaks when it would go around. And so then you have to change this. And it's like everywhere I turned, our, our sewage backed up. But we have this septic system and, and it was, it, was going to cost like 2500 bucks, and I'm broke and I, I don't know what to do. And it's, you know, backing up. And we're out there, I'm out there, and I'm just thinking to myself, I, I don't know what to do. And the, the uh, sewage guy, the rotor-rooter guy is there to pump things out. And he's like, dude, you need a whole new system. And, and he told me the money amount. And I'm like, man, I don't have the money. I never really wanted to do much credit card stuff. My son's walking around. My son's about six. He's about seven. And he's walking around, and he's like, dad, dad, dad. And I'm like, son, son, just be quiet. I'm talking to the, you know, this rotor-rooter guy. And he goes, dad, I got the answer. And he just wouldn't stop. And the guy's looking at me like, man, your kid's really annoying. And, and my, my son's walking around the thing, and he's got his hands in his pocket, you know. He's like, Dad, I got the answer. And I said, okay, son, please, just tell me so that I can continue this conversation. He goes, Dad, we haven't asked Jesus to help us with our poop problem. And so, and I'm like, no, I'm standing here with, you know, some unsaved Roto-Rooter. He looks at me like, and I said, son, we'll pray it out because right now I really don't have the faith to alleviate our sewage problems. He's like, Jesus, I just pray that you would help all this poop go away. <laughs> it's like, and he's just, and I'm like, and he prays quite a while. And I said, amen. Okay, and I go back to talking to this guy. Well, the next day, it's like, 
the ground absorbed all the moisture. It just took everything away, and it was like healed for a year and a half. My son's six-year-old prayer, the prayer of a little kid. I'm like, holy smokes. And then in a year and a half, I had the money actually to fix it. I know what it is to be broke. But I also know what it is to owe no one anything and have money in the bank. Paul said, I have learned. You got to learn by experience. I know what it is to be abased. I know what it is to have nothing. And I know what it is to really be blessed. And it's those bookends that really begin to have, have the balance in pursuing godliness through that process. So that's our goal. As David said in Psalm 23:1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's a great place. That, you know, if you're sitting here today and you go, you know what? I don't have a care in the world. God, you're so good. Now, you might not be in that place, but this is part of the experience. Are you in need right now? You wondering how you're going to pay the bills? Do you have some financial pressure? Or are you in a place of abounding and prosperity? Both those things will have the ebb and flow to help you grow in this process, to trust God and to grow in your faith. Now, this is the logic of all of this in verse 7. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Isn't that a fact? How'd you come into this world? Buck naked. Right? Every one of you and I, we came with only wearing a smile or a frown on our face. We came into this world naked, and that's the way we're going, except somebody decided to put a set of clothes on us, right, for the casket. So if I brought nothing into this world and I can carry nothing out, there's a guy, he, older guy, wise Christian, he picked up this hitchhiker and the hitchhiker and him were talking, they're going down the road and, and it, the hitch, young hitchhiker, like 20 something, he said, yeah, my uncle, you know, died a millionaire. And this wise old man said, no, he didn't. He goes, no, I, I know my uncle. My uncle was a millionaire. And the old man looked at him and said, who has his millions now? And he goes, oh, my cousins. He said, you see, he didn't die a millionaire. He died like the rest of us. Can you take your millions or your billions with you? Can you take anything with you when you go? You can send it ahead when you give to God's work. When you give to God's kingdom, he says, you're storing up treasures in heaven. So you actually can open a bank account in heaven. Is your bank account doing well in heaven? You've been given, given to God's work in God's kingdom? Because that's a bank account that's going to give forever. But the logic here is inescapable. We brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. So if that's the case... I've been accumulating wealth. You've been accumulating wealth if you're older and successful. And you're going to leave it to the kids and the grandkids. All right? And hopefully you have some kids or grandkids or somebody decent <laughs> that you could give it to, leave it with. But you've worked all of those years to attain this, to attain property and investments and bank accounts and and you're going to leave that to somebody else. You're going to leave that for somebody else. <laughs> or you're going to be like the bumper sticker that says, being in sound mind, I spent it all. <laughs> right? You're, you're, you're going to go, go out having spent everything. And that's okay too. It's yours. You made it. You can spend it. But now he gets down to the basics. What are the basic needs that I should be content with? Because our basics are not like, oh, basic cable vision. No, the basics that Paul is pointing to is a basic level of functioning through life that most of us are not comfortable with. For what does he say? In verse 8, having food and clothing with these we shall be content. Say what? I got food and I got clothing. Now, all of you look very well fed. Praise God, you all have clothing on. It is required to have some clothing on to come. So all of us should be very content people. But the reality is, out of all of us here, most of us are not very content people. Because, you see, food and clothing is actually just not enough for the American dream, is it? The American dream is food, clothing, a house with a two-car garage, and 2.5 children. 
How do you get 0.5? I'm not sure. You share it with the neighbor, I guess. But you have a goal of the American dream. Now, the American dream has been turned into a materialistic dream. The American dream is being free. That's the American dream. And then whatever I want to do with that freedom, I get to do in a moral, godly way. So if this is the case, let me just ask you, if you have food and clothing, are you content? Do you have, is that enough for you? You see, people in third world places where I've went to minister over many years, man, if they got, if they got food and clothes, they're pretty stoked because they have what they need. I never observed the transformation. I, I took a few teenagers with me to Africa years ago. And it had a life-transforming experience for them because these young kids had grown up in prosperous homes. They'd been grown, they've grown up in the American church. And they've grown up with the American dream. And they went there and they saw absolute poverty mixed with absolute joy in Jesus. And their mind almost could not, could not process it. And they realized in that moment what spoiled brats they were. They realized these people have nothing. Look at their joy. Look at their radiant smiles. Look at the worship. Look at their, their, the exuberance because Jesus has rescued them and saved them. Look, look at that and look about, and they thought about themselves and all they did is complain about their parents and complain about their clothing and complain about everything, complain about the church. And they just go, there was no contentment whatsoever. And they went there. And after they recovered from the PTSD, because you get some post-traumatic uh, stress syndrome over there, and they were shell-shocked to see that kind of poverty, to see that kind of filth, to see that kind of experience and existence. But those people there, man, if they, if they had food and clothes and a shack over their head, they were pretty radiant with joy and they were like, look at the blessings of God on my life. You see, there's a, something that happens with prosperity that makes people discontent. It makes them, uh, I mean, they have a, uh, a happy life index that they measure countries every year. Have you ever observed it? America's like the, you know, the most prosperous nation in the world. It's like number 73 on the happy index. Did you realize that? We're the most prosperous nation in the world. We're number three on happiness. Why? Because in a prosperous culture, you just keep looking at all the stuff you don't have, right? Rather than just being content with what you have. Paul sets the bar so low that most of us have never even had that experience of just food and clothes. He said, but if you got that with God, you got everything you need. Today, I got clothes on my back, I got food in my tummy, and I love Jesus, I got all I, all I need. Well, what about all this other stuff? What about everything that's stripped away? Let me just give you a kind of a, a rule of thumb for value. What's your value system? Is your value system money, possessions, and materialism? If you show up somewhere, and it's a gathering, a social gathering with 100 people, do you want everybody to see the car you arrived in? Do you want them to be impressed with the clothes you walk in with? Do you want them to be impressed with the Rolex on your watch? Do you want them to be impressed with your outward appearance? Because that value system is a big fat failure as far as bringing quality of life to yourself. We buy things that we do not need to impress people we do not like. It makes no sense. Makes no sense, right? I buy things I don't need to impress people I don't even like. Why do I do that? Because of some kind of social standing. That's the American value system. And we want to also drop what we do if we've achieved something, some title. I'm the vice president of marketing. Blah, 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 blah. See, all these things are our value system for the pecking order of humanity that is a flawed value system. To be very honest, 
to use a word from the streets, it sucks. It just sucks. It sucks the life right out of you, if that's what you're living for. You go back to your 25, 20-year class reunion. You want to impress everybody. You've been away from high school for 20 years. You want to go back and say, ha-da-da, here I am. I was the least likely to succeed, and now here I am, and I have succeeded and receded, you know, <clears throat> and protruded, and uh, whatever, all the stuff that we do. A true value system, a true value system is something that death can't take from me. A true value system is something death cannot take from me. When I die, when you die, death is the level playing field of all of us. Rich man, poor man, right? Rich man, poor man. Jesus tells a story of a poor beggar by the name of Lazarus in Luke 16, and a rich man that was very wealthy. And Lazarus used to just want to beg. He loved, Lazarus loved God, but he was homeless, and he, he, he wanted to eat the crumbs from the rich man's table. Now, they both died at the same time. And they both died at the same time, and Lazarus was carried by the angels to the comfort place of Abraham's bosom in this story. And the rich man, not rich towards God, he had everything that this world had to offer. You see, his value system... He impressed everybody at the party. He impressed everybody with his clothes, with his brand new chariot, with his house, with his gate, you know, impressive gate to enter his place. He was the who's who of Jerusalem. But Lazarus was the who's he. He's a beggar. But he knew God. And in eternity, what death did in the great equalizer is death stripped away the rich man's value system, and it elevated Lazarus's value system. Lazarus said, you know, all I have is food and clothes. I have God. I have God with contentment. I have godliness with contentment, and it's great gain. Because you see, death cannot take that value of knowing God. My value system is not about possessions. It's not about titles. It's not about outward things. My value system is I am going to place value on whatever is eternal that will exist forever. My relationship with God is eternal. My relationship with my wife, with my children, with um, my friends in my life, with the church family, all of us in this room are eternal people. Saved or unsaved, everybody's eternal, correct? Just depends on what neighborhood you want to hang out. What neighborhood? What side of the tracks you want to be on? The heavenly side of paradise or the other side of hell? You will exist forever and ever and ever and ever. You will exist. So you choose here the trajectory of your value system. Godliness with contentment that death cannot steal my value system. When I invest in my wife, she's an eternal being. When I invest in my children, they're eternal beings. When I invest in my grandkids, they're eternal beings. I get to take anybody that I can minister to with me to heaven, we're eternal beings. But your address, whether it's in Bel Air, whether, you know, whatever your value system is, if I'm hanging out with the Kardashians and I'm, uh, you know, really hanging out with the rich and famous. You guys remember the show? I used to watch it when I was young. The Robin Leach's Rich and Famous. And Robin Leach, this week on The Rich and Famous, we're going to be on a yacht. And on this yacht, they have a golden toilet. And they go through The Rich and Famous. Now, they have to have The Rich and Famous because the greed of everybody's hearts will keep that show on. Now, if they did now, Let's have the poverty-stricken show. No running water in an outhouse out back. Is anybody going to watch? No. Nobody wants that. What about let's love God and head for heaven? That seems distant. What's your value system? I can tell you, if I see your calendar... If I see your work schedule and I see your checkbook, I'll know your value system. 
It's what you spend all your time on, all your energy on, and all your money on. That is your value system. That's your value system. You can say, you can spout whatever platitudes you want. This is the heart and soul of who you and I are. Begin to build a value system that death cannot harm. And you will begin to experience a godliness and a contentment because this is the thing. Wherever your treasure is, whatever I value, there my heart will be also. You see, if I think my fulfillment is here, or it's in getting this promotion, or it's getting this degree, or it's buying this possession, or getting that home up at Big Bear, or Lake Arrowhead, or whatever, it's you know the place on the lake. If I think that that's my value system, that target, that target, if that's my treasure that I'm pursuing, the goal I'm working towards, then my heart's gonna be there. But if my heart's on God, and people, relationally, that are eternal, God is eternal, you're eternal, the people in my life are eternal, that godliness with contentment, the other stuff begins to diminish its glimmer and its twinkle and its shine in my heart. Because you see, my treasure's not there. So my heart's not there. My heart's with you. My heart's with my wife. She's eternal. My kids, my grandkids, my relationships. This is the thing. People... In America, use people and love things. That's the American mantra. You use people to get what you want, but you love things. You and I love things. But God wants us to love people and to use things. They're just tools. You see, the thing is about money, is money is a great servant when you use it correctly. But it's a lousy master when it runs your life. It's a lousy master, stinks, terrible master. Check it out as he goes on, because this is the temptation, isn't it? Verse nine, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Man, if you're just running after every temptation, get quick, rich scheme, you're running after all of the money, it just becomes a temptation. It's not a temptation like, you know, alcoholism or drug addiction or, you know, some kind of sexual immorality or stealing or anything. No, it's this greed that you just are running towards the rich uh, those who desire, notice to be desire to be rich. It, I know rich people that just love God and are great people, and I know poor people that love God and are great people. But I also know rich people that are not godly, and they, they're uh, not unpleasant to hang out with. And I know poor people that are unpleasant, and I don't want to hang out with. So it's not about whether you're rich or poor. It's simply, what are you running after? Now, this is the danger for you and I as Christians in verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. You begin to run after all these things, therefore your treasure is there, therefore your heart is there, and pretty soon you're so far away from God, you don't even know how you arrived there because you start chasing all the wrong things. It's a temptation, it's a danger. Notice what it said? It says, for which some have strayed from the faith. You, you used to be in church, but now you just work all weekend, right? Because you gotta get rich. There's all these wise Proverbs in Proverbs, Psalms, Ecclesiastes, about not, being, not to overwork to be rich. <laughs> you, you know, money talks, it says, I'm gone. <laughs> That's what it says. Bye-bye. And, and so it makes wings, David says. It, it makes wings and it just flies away. Your, your wealth just flies away. So that which cannot eternally help me has become my value system? That that's my temptation? That's the danger? I'd rather give up my faith and run from God, run, neglect my family because I got to have the mighty dollar because you see, once again, that's my value system. But my wife's eternal, my kids are eternal, so shouldn't I work hard, make enough money and to balance my life, to love my wife and love my kids? 
Is that normal if that's your value system? Wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where's your heart? What are you chasing after? Now you say, well, Rick, this is all fine and good. I'm 65 years old. I've lived this way with a false value system that stinks my whole life. Here I am, 65. Well, it's never too late to start a whole new value system, is it? Start investing. If that was your value system at age 65 and now you start actually wanting to spend time with your wife, wanting to spend time with the kids and the grandkids and the great-grandkids, they're all going to say, hey, what happened to you? What do you mean? Uh, you, you never wanted to be with us. You, you thought work was, isn't it crazy? We work for 40 years for a company and we just pour our life out for this company. At the end of it, they give you a, a pin. Thank you for your service. You're the, I missed every basketball game on my kids. Missed their birthdays. I poured my guts out for this place. This is where my treasure was. This is where my heart was. My wife and kids didn't get to my heart. They weren't my treasure. We totally missed the mark. So this is really the pursuit that he wants Timothy to pursue. He's a young minister. It says in verse 11, But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life. Notice this whole goal, this whole list, this target that he just gave him has nothing to do with materialism. Did you get that? It's all spiritual. Flee these things, running after the love of money. Don't get me wrong. The Bible, you know, condemns laziness. We should be hard workers. We should take care of our family. We should be people that contribute to society. But he says, flee those things that are greedy in nature with a false value system that cannot pay the dividends that you're investing in them and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith and lay hold of something that's eternal rather than just building up this kingdom. Jesus said, what if a man gains the whole world and he loses his soul? So what? I'm Bill Gates. I'm Warren Buffett. Two of the richest men in the world. So what? They don't know of Jesus. When they die, are they taking anything with them? No. Are they going to stand before God like you and me? And what's their only hope if they bow their knee to Jesus and say, Jesus is Lord? And without that, they are eternal beings that are going to spend. And that's why people, they get so up in arms about all these rich people. I'm saying, hey, 70 or 80 years is not that long. Every single one of these people that you're really bent out of shape about and you're all torqued off and they seem evil and you think they're getting away with murder, they're not getting away with nothing. They're going to stand before God very soon. And so are you and I. As a Christian, I'm going to receive rewards or lose rewards based on the Bema seat of Jesus but all my sins been judged at the cross. So I'm either going to gain rewards or lose rewards. What am I pursuing? What are we, you and I pursuing? Now he gives five thoughts, five things rich Christians should pursue. Now I want you to know in a global standard, every single one of you in this room is rich compared to a global standard where people live on a dollar a day or $30 a month around the globe. Can you imagine? Right? Some places, $2 a day. Whoop, big whoop. $60 a day. I mean, a month. So each one of us, he tells us five things that every rich Christian should know, and every American that has, it's funny to me, the homeless people in America have cell phones. <laughs> Isn't that hilarious? I'm homeless. I got my cell phone. <laughs> I got my AT&T. I got whatever. It's like, yeah, that's homelessness in America. And if you're in San Francisco, they just give you paychecks just for being homeless and all the needles and drugs you want. So that's why everybody, all the homeless people in America are in California. Number one, it says uh, that we would be humble. It says, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty. It means to have an arrogant attitude. Just because you have a lot of money in your bank account, does that give you a right to be a rude jerk in the restaurant to the waitress? Why does your money give you the right in how it's puffed you up. Man, we have maybe in this room a couple of millionaires, because, you know, millionaires are nothing now because you got to be a billionaire to be something, but it used to be a big deal. But we might have a couple of millionaires here in this room. Does that somehow elevate your attitude that you look down on the rest of humanity? Wealth gives us no right to elevate us. 
next to our fellow man. Because if you strip away all the outside stuff, and I'm standing here with 10 guys, and we all (laughs) are naked, and we don't have our outward trappings, we're all just men. The Lord tells the children of Israel in the book of Deuteronomy, he said, I'm the one that gives you the power to make money. Paul said, what do you have that you haven't received from the Lord? If you have the gift of business, you have the gift of making money, and God, who gave that to you? It'd be like a person saying, you know, I mean, if you're good looking, if you just came out of the womb, you know, I, uh, <laughs> I got this picture the other day on my phone from my son. My son's just like got like model good looks. And he doesn't even think anything of it. Like people, will, waitresses will come up to our table. It's kind of annoying in places we go. It's like, is he a movie star or something? No, he's just my son. But, you know. um, but if you have these, these incredible good looks, did you, did you create that? Now, I know through plastic surgery, people can do things today. So I'm not saying that you can't somehow, you know, go to the surgeon and do some stuff. I'm saying naturally. Did, did you make that happen? If you're tall, did you make that happen? If you're smart, did you make that happen? Now, you can contribute and invest in that intellectually and education. But do you realize everything you have, who gave that to you? God did. So why am I walking around? Why is a person, just because you have a lot of money in the bank, walking around like everybody should be hopping to it and taking care of you and serving you? Because that's the thing about wealth. Everybody serves me. Everybody's my servant. And you treat everybody like a servant. And yet Jesus said, if you want to be great in his kingdom, you're the servant of everybody else. You'd be the servant of all. Notice the paradigm shift between those things. So humility is so important. Also be trusting, nor to trust, in verse 17, nor to trust in uncertainty, uncertain riches, but in the living God. Are you trusting in your bank account that somehow that's going to get you into heaven? This was in... uh, Forbes in the magazine Forbes, and it was the top 10 things that if if wealthy people could buy, number one is if they could buy heaven, they would all write a check, right? If you can write it, if I could buy heaven, I'd write a check. So why would I trust in the uncertainty of riches? You and I know right now, uh, those who have investments, if the market crashes and the dollar in the future, on the trajectory we are, the dollar is going to crash, is it a decade out? Is it two years out? Wherever it is, because uh, the, the printing of money creates hyperinflation. And so this year set a record. It was an article this morning or yesterday in the news that under, because everybody's focus is over in Israel, the U.S. Treasury just came out with the highest, the highest interest in American history just happened this year. And if this continues, the dollar will crash. So we're trusting in our dollar. We're trusting in the bank account. Boom, the crash happens. Now you have nothing. Who is your trust in? Did you lose God? Did, when, when the U.S. dollar collapsed, did God's kingdom collapse? Is he still on the throne? Is he still feeding the birds outside and clothing the lilies of the field? That's the illustration he gives to us. Have you ever just enjoyed, you ever been poor and you just, I just, I've, at times of just being so flat broke, and I just, this is my object lesson, I just go to a park or my backyard and I just start watching the birds. They're so happy, they're singing a song. I mean, as soon as dawn starts to break, they're singing a song. It's a praise song to the Lord. Oh, God, so good. They don't have any 401k. They don't have any savings account. They just got them and their little wings and they're gonna run. The Lord's Lord's going to give them the seeds for the day. And the Lord goes, hey, I feed birds, and you're more valuable than the birds. See, but if your trust is in your wealth, the uncertainty of riches. As I said, money talks. It says, bye-bye. <laughs> it says, goodbye. Don't trust in the uncertainty of riches. If you have it, praise God. There's nothing wrong with wealth. There's nothing wrong with enjoying wealth. It's just that you don't have your trust there. You have your trust in the Lord. Be joyful who gives us richly all things to enjoy. As God has blessed us, we get to enjoy everything. God's not a killjoy. He wants us to enjoy all the goodness that he's blessed us with. Be generous. Verse 18, let them do good that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. If God has blessed me, Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. So 
Look for opportunities to do good with your money. Look for opportunities to do good works, ready to give, willing to share with people that are in need. Lastly, be confident, verse 19, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Be confident that your giving here to God's work and God's kingdom is storing up a good foundation, a good bank account for an eternal reward because your value system is in eternal things that death or the stock market cannot rob from you. They're eternal. And when you pursue God who is eternal and people who are eternal and you invest there, then the quality of your life, it's much easier you live a simpler life. You live a minimalist life and you're very content with that. It's strange. I, I've had the privilege because of ministry. You rub elbows with millionaires and billionaires and people that, but I've hung out with them. I've, I've spent long stretches with them and I've eaten meals with them and I, I go where they go and I hang out where they hang out and I, I'm around them. But the, at the end of the day, I, as the poor preacher, still drive away. And when I'm with them, I can only eat one plate of food at a time and I can only sleep in one bed and I can only get in one car so what do they have that I don't have? They might buy something more expensive on the menu. They might have a, a more expensive bed. They might have a more expensive car. But my plate of food, Five Guys, is preferable. <laughs> they give me extra fries at Five Guys. That's why I go there. That fills the hole just as much as filet mignon. <laughs> or if they want, they take me to the fancy French restaurant. I go, I will take you to my favorite fancy French restaurant, Le Golden Arches, <laughs> McDonald's. See, we think that the lives of the rich and famous have something we don't. It's not true. If you have a love for God, you are the richest person on the planet. You are contained and you're happy, food and clothes. I love Jesus, food and clothes, and I love people. I wanna be with Jesus forever and the people I love forever. That's what I wanna focus on, my value system, because death can't take it from me. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would take our lives and do something truly beautiful today by your spirit to bring us into that place of genuine contentment. God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love. Lord, I pray for those who are genuinely in need today, and I pray that you would supply all their needs according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus, that you'd be their strength, that you would give them peace where there's anxiety, that you would supply. Most of all, Lord, I pray that you would give them an extra measure by your spirit of yourself, that they might sense that love, joy, and peace that comes with pursuing godliness in a right relationship with you. So Lord, we ask that you would do a special work in each one of our hearts. Lead us into a greater measure, a greater experience, a greater fullness and contentment to be okay with the simple things of life and the eternal things of life, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.